you've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. All right. I'm so excited. It's episode 100 of the Conservative Hippie Podcast. And to share this moment with me is one of my extra special friends, Emily Johnson, a write-in candidate for governor of the state of Illinois. She is a super competitive, beautiful woman, kind person, and my friend. So without further ado, um, this podcast in conjunction conjunction with Shadow Vision Radio, uh, I've got Emily on live and direct from Illinois. Emily, do you have the kids put to bed? Are you safe and sound? Are you ready to rock? I am one out of two. So we're halfway there for bed, but I'll take it. Okay. Okay. The older one, of course, not going to bed yet. Correct. All right. Well, I think it's the it's the younger one that requires the attention. Um, and speaking of that, tell us a little bit about yourself. If I'm not mistaken, um, this little one that you've put to bed was a late surprise in life for you. And you started homeschooling this young girl during COVID. And it's been quite an adventure so far. It has. I chose to homeschool her after second grade because of the mask um requirements from our dear Pritzker here in Illinois, our current governor. Oh, we, um, we, have, is, we have one of those too. We've got Hare, Hare Inslee in Washington state. Lovely. So you know how it feels to have a tyrant as a governor. Um, so with that, I immediately took my little one out of public school and decided to homeschool her. Uh, so it's been a challenge. Um, a good challenge, a learning experience, and one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Uh, I do not want her in the public schools. Um, the indoctrination that's happening right now that we are all very aware of is absolutely ridiculous and out of control, and something needs to be done about it quickly. Yeah. Mean, meanwhile, test scores are going down. I think in my state, um, there was some ridiculous stat, uh, a, state, a state candidate um, told me that, let me just think about this really quick, it was 50% of the kids can't read or write, and yet 70% graduate. So, you know, the level of education is going so far downhill in terms of the things that matter, why they're there, and you're exactly right, they're, they're pushing all these very bizarre ideologies that don't really um, educate them. It almost uh, gets them prepared for, um, I, I don't even know, what do you, why do you think they're doing that? What, what is it getting them prepared for? Beats me, to be honest with you. And, and just let me just go tell you really quickly, in Chicago public schools alone, the difference between 2010 and 2021 is this, math proficiency, Okay, in 2010 was 79 percent. And this is in Chicago public schools in 2021, 17 percent, 79 percent to 17 percent reading proficiency in 2010, 70 percent, 2021, 21 percent. Yeah. And in 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 all in and in our two states, people people think that they're voting for. Um, the good people, the well-meaning people that want to do good for these um, young, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, left out of society, marginalized uh, members of the society, where, when in actual reality, they're hurting them. And they've been in control of our governments for a decade now, and this is what we get out here in the Pacific Northwest in Washington. We've got the Emerald City that now has a brown... Um, turd all over it, all over the streets. Um, and it's it's d- a direct result of government policies, not just the way things are or climate change. It's, it's a direct result of our policies that are supposed to help people, but it's actually in turn ignoring them. Exactly. And your question earlier, why do I think they're doing that? And the no idea, obviously, in my mind, I, I in my mind, I can't justify why anybody would um, do this to our children, but we do all know it's about the money. Follow the money. 
And what these politicians are doing is they're choosing money over morals every single time. And I don't care how long they've been in office um, or, or, or what the case is. At this point, if anyone's taken any amount of money from any organization or um, I don't want to say that everyone's hands in the cookie jar, but let's just say that I'm pretty sure that everyone's hands in the cookie jar at this point. We just need to start over and yeah. Yeah, start it's, over. It's it's almost like um, the the system has become so corrupted that corruption is just the commonplace now, and it's um it's it's tragic. It's it's something that we need to stand up and fight against. And here you are. So let me let me rewind though, because there's something there, there's a touching story that's it's very interesting. Um, you're a very unique person, and and one of those things deals with your uh, little daughter, your youngest daughter. When she was born, there was a lot of stress and anxiety for you as a uh, parent. Tell us about that story and the unique situation that you went through. Well, I decided to have my first daughter when I was 30. Uh, and when she was six, I got pregnant with my second. Um, and it was a beautiful thing. I mentally just wasn't prepared for it. At that time, I had just finished playing ball competitively. I played softball competitively in high school and college and then afterwards for a while. Um, and then I started coaching. I had the head varsity position coaching softball at a local high school. And it was um, finally my time to do what I loved the most. I had a successful business and it just, uh, the timing was, wasn't what I was prepared for mentally. So um, I went through some things and obviously um, I've, I've, I've overcome it. And with that strength, I gained from that, um, getting through that without, you know, any type of, um, you know, um, I don't want to say that I'm, you know, completely holistic, but I choose not to take pills and put them in my body, um, anything synthetic. And so I just got through it mentally. And I believe that I'm pretty tough mentally. And so that changed me in a positive way. Yeah. Now, I think you're talking about uh, postpartum depression. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, also in the mix of your second surprise child, um, there was there was some really rare disease that they've actually um, done done studies on. T tell us about that. Well, I guess, yes, post postpartum is, is what you'd call that. Um, absolutely. So yeah, that was difficult. However, that my that was my second child. She's currently nine. My first is 15. And when she was a week old, she was diagnosed with the first case of infantile, infantile botulism type E um, in the world. And that in itself was absolutely devastating and almost tragic. However, um, miracles do happen and she's healthy now. Uh, but she was the fastest um, recovered patient to this day and the youngest diagnosed. And they never did, they meaning the CDC um, hospital never figured out how she contracted it. Wow. Wow. Super rare. So you've, you've been through some challenges in life. I know you. Um, you and I met in online chats on Telegram, um, just like-minded people. And I always was amazed at your uh, competitive spirit because I'm, I'm kind of a competitive person myself. And damn it, if you don't beat me nine out of ten times at just about everything. And you were a uh, Division One athlete. You were a pitcher on the pitch, on the diamond for your collegiate softball team. Um, where did you go to school? I went to the University of Missouri in Kansas City. And uh, so that was, okay. Oh, and have you always been competitive? Uh, yeah, since I was a kid. I was always a three-sport athlete, um, and that's just what I did on the weekends, what I did on Sundays, and it's what I love to do with my dad. So I definitely am a true believer in women's competitive sports and the camaraderie that comes with it, the self-confidence that comes with it, um, which just brings me to another off subject. I'm not a big believer at all in men playing women's sports. I'm just going to go ahead and side, side note that right now. Yeah, that, that is a strange one. I mean, that's just common sense that, um, that uh, women who were born men 
um, should be supported and um, encouraged to live their lives, but participation against women who are born women um, just doesn't make any any good sense in any um, athletic endeavor or, or in our society. Right, and that's what the problem is now, is that there's no, um, there's no fine line in between extremes anymore. It's It's almost like you have to take one side or the other, and you can't just compromise and be in the middle at some point and say, okay, this is okay, but just this isn't right. It's hatred on on one side if you just don't believe uh, what the other person believes at this point. And it's insane to me because it would be so easy for us to all come together, especially issues on like that. To me, that's a pretty simple issue and it shouldn't even be one. Yeah. Yeah. Again, common sense should just write the rules in that situation, but it does seem like um, the rules have been flipped upside down in this day and age. Um, tell me a little bit before before we get into you know you and I and our and our various travels. Um, there's something also very interesting about you in the way that you've grown up. I was on the phone with you the other day, and you you turned it into a FaceTime and you introduced me to somebody, and you stated that when you started mentoring him, he was 11, and he's 32 now. And I'm, can you tell me, like, when did you start? I, I call it mentorship. You know, when did you start working with, um, what, what's, what's the words I'm looking for here? Uh, please fill in the blanks and tell me about your outreach in the community. Absolutely. So when I graduated college, I, I had this impression that I was just going to work in the high school where I graduated from. I had an, uh, in secondary education English major. And so I interviewed. Long story short, I did not get the job. I was devastated. Uh, I was embarrassed. I never, you know, not um, got something that I really, really wanted or worked hard enough to get it or um, accomplished it. And I was devastated and it humbled me and it put me in a place where I had to just find something because I moved home and I was living with my parents and um, and that was just the deal. So I found um, a job at a nonprofit organization uh, called the DuPage County Area Project. And DuCap, for short, was an affiliate of the Chicago Area Project, which is CAP, for short, C-A-P. And what the organization did was work with at-risk youth in the suburbs and in the city of Chicago. And we worked on things such as recreational activities, life skills, uh, and education. So what we did was basically mentored them, tutored them, and kept them busy with activities until their parents were home because you know everybody knows most of the crime happens after school between the hours of 3 and 6 p.m when parents are at work i don't know if those statistics are still exact to this day but back um in the early 2000s when i was there that that's what it was and that's what we did and you've and you've maintained these relationships um throughout your life or you continued on um this mentorship program i uh, decided to leave my job after about 10 years and to start a business. And I just kept in touch with the ones that, you know, wanted to also keep in touch with me. And I worked with hundreds of kids. I would say that um, actually, ironically, last night, I just started on a, a Facebook page, a private Facebook page for alumni so that um, we could sort of grow our group and because we get together once a year, but about 10, 10 of the kids are now in their 30s and some of them have children of their own and um, they're amazing we're friends and i know that they know that i'll always be there for them no matter what i I was there for them when i had nothing and and i'm there for them now and i'll be there for them till the end of time and i think it's the feeling is mutual so what happens so you've all you've been you're this competitive rock star with a soft heart and you're out there putting putting that soft heart on the line what happened in our modern times that got you um, active in politics and paying attention? Well, I don't even want to say active in politics at all. Um, I would, I, I still don't want to say that. Um, but paying attention, I've always knew, known something was off um, because no matter how hard I worked or you know how much of the line that we were supposed to be going down in this 3D world, you know, how much of it I 
succeeded in, I was walking in circles saying to myself, man, there's just, there's something more. This, this is not, something is just not right. This is not quite how we're supposed to be living. Feels a little prison-like. And then um, Trump came along and, um, you know, I think that the fire that he sort of lit under us patriots that were just sort of sleeping a little bit to get excited about what our country could be um, that was for, first and foremost. I was excited about what it could be. And then shortly after that, um, uh, I started, that excitement was wearing off because I was sort of opening my eyes to exactly what was going on. Um, and so, so when he did not get elected, it just sort of avalanched from there. So Trump Trump was the gateway drug to politics for you in in the fact that um, he came along. I, I, li- I like to say at the time, uh, in 2016, when he was running, um, you know, I told people, I said, oh, this is like a grenade. We're going to pull this pin and throw this grenade into our bureaucratic system and see what happens. And sure enough, you know, that grenade went off and... Uh, you could see, if you were paying attention, you could see all the rats scurry, and it almost like shone a large light on uh, on our society and the way that it was currently built and the corrupt politics that were um, that were going on over the decades. Um, so what? So it was his loss in 2020 um, that got you active and um, participating in the political process? I would say that's accurate. Well, I started opening up and, and, and realizing there was something I could probably do or I needed to help. I, I, I needed to do something. I couldn't just sit here and watch this bullshit happen. So um, I joined Twitter. I hadn't ever joined Twitter before that. And I believe I joined it in January of 2021, just because, was he still on there at the time? Or was he already kicked off by then? I think I joined because, well, the insurrection, uh, January 6th thing. Um, But I joined, I don't know, I remember why I joined, but I joined Twitter anyways. And um, so that's when I basically migrated from there to Telegram because I got kicked off Twitter relatively quickly because I was just out there spewing truth and retweeting, you know, things that I thought were ridiculous. And at the time I thought Lynn Wood was entertaining. So the things he was saying um, had resonated with a bunch of research that I had done. So that's sort of where I got to Telegram and then um, ended up finding Tori says and joined a group then and things went from there. I'm yeah. no longer involved with that group. However, um, that's okay because grassroots is the way to go. And that's sort of where we're all going anyway. Yeah, it is very interesting. And um, sometimes during these interviews and podcasts, I'll stop and I'll talk to the audience. And I'll be like, okay, so if I was going to stop and talk to the audience and try to try to help frame things, I just want to put it in the perspective of we've got somebody here who was a mom, uh, successful, uh, D1 athlete, so Division One softball player, always competitive and successful in what she was doing, saw what was wrong, what was going wrong with the country, and just wanted to get involved. W- wouldn't you say that you, you were on a mission just to participate within communities that were trying to solve problems and um, affect positive change in our country? Yes, the masks had a lot to do with it as well with the kids. That kind of sparked my my fire quite a bit because I don't like to instill fear into my children um, because that's not going to benefit them in any way in their teen or adult lives moving forward. Um, so that for them to be afraid to go anywhere without that on just for me was like the tipping point. And so then that's when I started getting involved, you know, going to more school board meetings and getting kicked out of those and um, sort of looking into the ESSER funding and what the federal government was providing to schools in terms of um, money. That's an important part right there. Uh, Through your research, um, 
I haven't done a lot of research on it, but from my understanding, federal money was almost used as a coercive tool with all of these local school boards and school municipalities to enforce these um, arcane and anti-science um, stipulations that came down from what was supposed to be our scientifically based um, CDC, our government bodies. Yes. Basically, if the schools accepted the money, they were under contract to do certain things with that money, um, with remote learning, cleaning, um, you know, just depending on the school and the school district. So it's basically pay to play, right? And they took that money and therefore they they had to... Um, instill all of these rules and adhere to get the money, they had to follow all the stipulations. That's, I mean, it's, it's a tragedy, especially the longer, the longer we go now and the more that we can look back, um, all of the people that were forcing and coercing um, school municipalities and people are, are looking like clowns and the the real science is starting to come out and it doesn't it doesn't look good there were those of us that always knew the masks were a joke that the um, that the actual effective risk of covid 19 was far less than the hyperbolic um, craze and hysteria that was being put forth through the media and right. There exactly. Were, yeah, and there were people like us that that saw it at the time, and we were ostracized and/or pressured, um, ridiculed. And now, you know, as as we get further along, and we look at all the statistics now coming out of it, none of those measures ever made a darn difference, um, and they most likely hurt more than they helped. Especially when it comes to what got you going, the children. Yes, and it just I'm I'm having literal flashbacks when we're talking about this to you know, I guess we don't we have to sometimes sit back and think about where we've been and and and, and where we are now. I remember sitting sitting in volleyball tournaments with thousands of people around me and literally being the only only one without a mask, literally. And 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 looking at people and watching the players on on the court with masks on. And my, my, just, I'm just getting so angry, but most of these girls, they don't even have them on their, their mouths and their noses. They're on their chins. Yes. And, um, some of them are, are, and they're breathing hard and it's hot in there. And I'm watching these parents sitting around me with these masks. I'm thinking I'm in, uh, like in just in, in, in a different world thinking, am I nuts? You know, this, this can't be, there, there can't be, are these people scared or are they afraid that they're going to get in trouble i'm not i'm not understanding it it did seem to be an awful lot of uh of just go along to get along and i know in washington state we're we're very flexible very uh kind people and so i think that there was a lot of go along to get along um not to one-up your story and be competitive but my son played soccer so even in an outdoor stadium an outdoor high school stadium I was the only one without a mask, and all of these parents were in the stadium outdoors wearing a mask, and they did. They forced these kids to play with masks on. I remember they had certain rules where they couldn't touch the ball with their hands. You know, oh, don't touch the ball with your hands, then it would become contaminated. And just knowing how ridiculous it was at the time, um, my my family was almost embarrassed that I would that I wouldn't wear the mask. And I always thought that these people needed to see somebody without a mask on to let them know, like it, it everything's yeah. gonna be okay. Like I'm not uh, I'm not gonna spontaneously combust. Everything's gonna be all right. But it was the kids. I would tell my son, I said, you take that dang mask off any chance you get. You wear it around your chin. You wear it wherever you can. Just don't wear the mask. Um, because it actually, I mean, it's proven that it it actually ha- has more harm to them than it can help them, especially when you consider the size of a virus and all of that. But I don't, I don't want to go through 2020 debates on masks. Um, this, this, this podcast is about you. You're running for governor. I mean, <laughs> how did it get to the point where you were like, yeah, 
I'm going to put my name on the line and I'm going to run for governor. Tell, tell us about this process of where you took that bold leap. Well, I will say that conceptually I did it because I wanted to just do the most bold thing that I could think of um, in order to just make some noise in my community. And it's not something that anybody would ever see me doing. Now, I do like to um, collaborate with people and network. And um, I've always been uh, out working in the community. So I knew that I could gather people and I had a place that I could do that. And it's just something I love to do. And then I was also very passionate about what I was doing. And that would drive me to just keep going until something stopped me. Now, I don't know. Did I think I was going to be governor? Do I think I'm going to be governor? Mm, you know, uh, the future is yet to be told. Um, but I did it because I also had a support group around me that made me courageous enough to put my name down. Now, tell us about this process. So you've got, you had about, uh, what, six people with you. Uh, it, was a, it was an entire slate of candidates. Um, so you had a lieutenant governor. Um, there was a woman running for secretary of state. There were various positions on this slate, this organized slate. And if I'm not mistaken, um, it was organized, and you guys shared fellowship in the fact that you were um, uh, listeners to the Tory Says podcast. Um, what was the process like? Um, I, of course, know, uh, but the people don't know. Was it as simple as writing your name and you're running for governor? Tell us about the um, the traps and pitfalls that you encountered. Well, the first thing that we had to do was get a group of people with different skill sets because nobody knows everything about everything. So the group of people that we had were very mindful and aware, and um, they're just brilliant people um, in terms of law and um all sorts of different realms. So anyways, um, after gathering those people and being confident about those people, we decided that we had enough resources together to get signatures. Um, and so the process to get on the primary ballot uh, for Republicans, um, the requirement was 3,500 signatures. Um, and because we were running as a slate, meaning we were just threw ourselves all in the same um, ticket. Um, one of the reasons we did that was because we couldn't run as independents. And this is where we start the whole red tape right away. If someone wants to run, if a citizen wants to run for office as a Republican by themselves, um, they, had, they have to get 3,500 signatures. If they were to run as an independent, Jay, do you remember the number I told you that someone running as an independent would it's, be it's much, to get? It's much larger. What is it? 27,000. 20, wait, 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 wait. Say that again. So if you're going to run as a Republican, you have to get 3,500 signatures. Okay. not a, I mean, that's, that's, a, right. that's a doable thing. If you're going to run as an independent, you have to get 27,000 signatures in the state of Illinois? Yes. And keep in mind, we had a slate of people to split those up. So uh, we knew we had to get, you know, close to double the requirement because they were, you know, if history repeats itself, they were going to throw out most of our signatures for various reasons, which is not something I'm, I can get into details about, but um, that did happen. So even doing that, it was hard to do it the right way, right? Because it's the honest right way, because we weren't taking money from anybody for any type of donations or campaigning. We just did it on our own with our own, you know, helpful volunteers and friends and family. So that was doable for us. We got that done. But 27,000, if I was just going to run with a lieutenant governor as an independent, 27,000, and it varies from state to state. But for Illinois, um, it's, I do believe that that's a number. Yeah, and forget about the number. It's the discrepancy. It's the strange discrepancy uh, where, you know, if you run within this two-party structure, it's uh, the hurdle is much lower. But if you run as an independent, 
um, the hurdle becomes much, much higher. Uh, it seems like that's done purposefully um, to eliminate uh, candidates in the beginning. So, so tell us what happened. I mean, 3,500, you've got a slate of candidates, you're hard workers. I'm sure that was easy. Uh, what happened in that process? Well, we got over the amount of um, required signatures, so that was good. And we also had a little bit of an issue prior to that with some of our um, slate members being crossed off the ballot out of some confusion. Um, we believe we rectified that. And I do believe that um, that if we had a lawyer that and you know money to fight it we could have won that because um we did have the affidavit to you know see what show what was going on and the intention behind it but anyways it was just another reason for them to disqualify us along with i mean i can't even tell you thousands of signatures that um that were marked off because uh the address or the signature didn't match or it was a double signature um, and we were very careful about, you know, very honest and careful about how we went about the process and knew that, you know, we even had an issue getting the voter rolls and that's just a whole nother thing. So we did the best we could. So those two reasons, um, also because there was somebody got hold of an email that one of the candidates may move. So that, so that was another reason, um, they were saying that some of the candidates, so it's, it sounds we're, like it sounds like just just everything they, everything they went after your campaign with uh, with a fine tooth comb when it came to the signatures. Now let me ask you a question. If I'm not mistaken, I I know this story. Um, wasn't there some individual that came forward and challenged your signatures? Correct. There is an objector. There is two objectors. Um, one for the entire slate of candidates, and then there was another one just for the. Lieutenant Governor and I, which that's that's not even um, that doesn't even need to be addressed. But anyways, the, the main objector um, apparently is just a concerned citizen that um, spent hours and hours of time and money going through our our signatures to disqualify us. And this person, we just we just can't find him um, to ask him, you know, to see if he even exists. He doesn't exist. We don't think, but um, you know, we're fighting that. Um, we're attempting to fight that and and find out if this person exists. So if he doesn't. What was the process though? It's an issue. So so hang on a second. What what was the process though? If this just random citizen, possibly real, possibly fake, just comes along and says, "Oh, I challenged these signatures," shouldn't there be some sort of opportunity for you to adjudicate that, to 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 rectify it, to say, "No, these are good signatures," or or was it just a situation where his word was was bond and um, they threw out your signatures? Uh, we did have someone go and fight it, but um, we didn't have a lawyer to keep going forward and and to ask you to to answer your question about can can you just be a, a person that doesn't like the slate of candidates apparently anybody can object to anybody and it's always usually the opponent you know that that's objecting because on this um form that i have in front of me here the petition it says that this gentleman basically resides at his address he is duly qualified, registered, and a legal voter at such address that his interest in filing the, fi the following objections is that of a citizen desirous of seeing to it that the, sorry, my glasses, that the laws governing the filing of nomination papers of persons desiring to run for the offices of governor, lieutenant governor, and so forth are properly complied with and that only qualified candidates appear on the general primary election ballot and that only qualified candidates for each such offices have their names appear on the general primary election ballot as candidates for office. And then it goes on to say on and on and on about why should we should be disqualified. Um, huh. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't have, we, we don't, there's not enough time between then and now because we are still fighting that battle. Um, so right now, so what's the next step from there? That is, okay, we can, Let's try to be write-ins for the general election in November. Now, what's the process? Because keep in mind, this process was, you know, just to see if we could do it. It wasn't necessarily, you know, um, we weren't campaigning to say, you know, we want to be involved with politics necessarily. To be honest with you, it's just we just wanted to see if citizens could do it. Like they say, right, we have the right. Um, 
to run for office. It should be a pretty easy process, you would think. Um, Absolutely. Go ahead. Absolutely. It should be. And, and, I, and I mean, I think that's the theme of um, people like us when we when we finally decided to get the hell off our couch and to go participate um, to find the adversity and challenges associated um, is a little bit odd. Uh, we are, we the people, uh, standing up now to participate in our government, and it's strange to see the hurdles that are put in place by the quote-unquote establishment, if you will. Um, let, let me rewind just a bit, because one of the more fascinating things that happened during your story, uh, when you decided you were going to run for governor and you had this slate of candidates uh, with you, um, was this was early on. This was during the primary season, if I'm not mistaken. But you made the front page of the Chicago Sun-Times. Is that accurate? We did. We did. We were called the conspiracy theory slate, the slate of denial. Um, and keep in mind that journalist, and I'm saying that, you know, in quotation marks there, that journalist um, did not interview any of us. Um, we all refused. We weren't taking interviews. But I believe one person um, spoke to him, but he his all of his information was off um site that we had at the time and um he took his conclusions just from that and it was front page news apparently we are so scary such scary people that um we deserve to be front and center next to juicy smollett after that whole fiasco but yeah yeah what an amazing and i'll and i'll have the uh i'll have that front page um article uh on the conservative hippie website for this particular show and the show notes you can always see the show notes i'll also have a link um, to Emily Johnson's YouTube page, Illinois Write-In Candidate. So moving forward, you said, you know, you guys are still trying to battle this um, to be on the ballot. Is, isn't it too late at this point? And so you guys got the gumption, if I'm not mistaken, um, how many counties are in Illinois? So we had to declare write-in candidacy in 109 counties in Illinois. Um, so we were able to get that um, certified and sent over to all the counties in time, plenty of time, um, so that we could declare write-in candidacy. And right now we've received, well, um, they've signed for, meaning they've received in hand, they meaning the county clerks, um, our, our paperwork. So we now are trying to get the question answered as to once those county clerks receive our declarations, are we just sending write-ins, you know, or do they have to send us a receipt? Because we have only received receipts from about six or seven in the entire state. So I'm not sure um, how, how that happens. But as far as I know, um, myself and the rest of the slate should be the only actual valid write-in candidates um, in the state. So, you know, if you, if you write down Mickey Mouse or, you know, whatever, I know people do that sort of silly stuff sometimes, um, you know, obviously it would never count, but um, the person has to be, has has to have filled out the declarations to actually be legitimate. And how that's also counted, I don't know, because if it's a machine, who knows how that's counted. <laughs> All right. So you you guys did the hard work. So now you're on the ballot as write-in candidates. Um and the process of campaigning has begun. Um, do you have any uh, big plans? Are you going to just share yourself on YouTube? Um, you know, what? where do you go from here to do the impossible task of getting enough people to write you in on the ballot um, to win this election? Well, let's not kid ourselves realistically the only way that that would happen is if there were special elections or it was delayed and i could actually gather the you know the people and resources to actually campaign but in the meantime since we only have um gosh i'm not sure how many days but more than 30 and less than 60 uh until the um election what we're doing now is just getting the word out so that um, we can keep track of how many people actually write me in and i've talked to a couple election judges locally that can't answer my question even. Um, and that's why I'm going to go and ask myself tomorrow in my county, um, how does this work? Um, you know, if, if I know personally of, let's just say, 
you know, 500 people that, that have messaged me and said, hey, I wrote your name down, um, we should be able to check to see if they actually were counted um, because they should. And it's just things like that that um, are just question marks everywhere that if it's just now we're questioning it, you're just telling me that they've just been, like I said, red taping everybody for the last however many decades. It's crazy that no one's actually gotten this far to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's terribly interesting. Um, All across the country, there are people that are getting involved in our bureaucratic process, trying to get involved with the government for the first time. Um, You are you're an amazing champion of this cause, just in the fact, putting your name out there, um, being on the front page, being slandered on the front page of the Chicago Sun-Times, um, being kicked off the ballot, not being allowed, your signatures being denied, going through the process to become a write-in candidate. It's an amazing story just in the fact of, of a regular citizen deciding to participate in the process and sharing with everyone um, the pitfalls and the hurdles um, that await. Um, if, if you could give somebody the advice, um, being where you're at in the process, what advice would you give them um, looking back if they wanted to get involved and they wanted to do something bold and they wanted to participate in the process? Gosh, I would just say where there's a will, there's a way. If you know it doesn't feel right in your gut, and then it must not feel right in someone else's gut. Somebody in that office, somebody there um, knows it's not right. So just keep keep going and surround yourself with people that believe in the same things that you do with as much passion as you do. And you don't have to know where you're going. You just need to know you're going somewhere better than where we're at right now. Yeah. Now, I'm curious. Um, I've found in my particular area that the Republican Party is very pliable, uh, meaning um, I was, I was a, I'm a libertarian by nature, and uh, the, the, the foundation of the Republican Party is libertarian. And so I've had a very um, easy time um, getting into and involved with my local Republican Party. Do you regret um, just flipping them the bird and saying, oh, you know, it's all you're all globalists? Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing, I'm putting words in your mouth, I apologize. But do you regret not going through the traditional party process and, and going at it as an outsider from the jump? No, no, because I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't knowledgeable and enough about, about the inner workings of politics at the time that I would have understood what was happening. I had to experience it myself. Um, so no, I'm not. I'm kind of glad that I kept my distance and just um, looked in my community and made a difference in my own backyard. Okay. Uh, as long as I, as long as I did. And and through this experience you've had now, do you feel like you're um, you're better prepared? Like you're gonna you're gonna go through this write-in candidacy? And is this something that um, that maybe you've caught the bug? And this isn't this election, this 2022 um, election for governor, isn't the last we'll hear of Emily Johnson? So yes, uh, now um, because I've taken the last couple years to self-reflect and learn. Um, from lots of different people, so many different people across the board. And I've learned the hard way and a lot of things, but I've gained enough knowledge to be confident enough to go into um, those offices now of my local Republicans to explain to them my process, what I've learned, why I did what I did, and how I can help them um, in the future. And so Absolutely. Now, 100%, I, I'm able to tell my story and I will be able to um, hopefully ask for um, some help going forward where before I didn't feel like uh, I was worthy of asking for help. Um, but I guess um, self-worth comes with, um, you know, it comes with at the end of the day, knowing that you're just doing the right thing, no matter how hard it gets. And so everybody can see that. I think, because passion and 
intention resonate with people. Yeah, you you you've learned a valuable lesson by going at it alone, and uh, you you almost threw yourself into the fire with with no real party support. And now you've seen the trials and tribulations um, that come with that. It's very, it's a very fascinating story um, that I, I, I hope we're pulling this out for the people because it's important. This is our government. This is this isn't some other government. It's some non tangible thing out there. That's another thing. This is our thing, and we should feel comfortable uh, volunteering, especially when you're a highly capable, good person and a leader um, like Emily Johnson, um, somebody that just wanted to step up and participate in their government. I mean, look look at um, just our our states where you and I have have gained a kinship almost because of Illinois and Washington are similar in a lot of ways politically. Um, but you've got so much, so many more serious challenges that if you just look at the city of Chicago, like when, when is anybody going to look and um, put the responsibility on the politicians that have been in charge of that city and that county and that state um, to the absolute decline in safety within those communities. When are they going to be held responsible? And I think that you stepping forward and um, trying to um, volunteer and serve in a position of leadership um, that might have brought fresh ideas um, and actual problem-solving to it um, is an amazing story. Um, and, I, and I think that it needs to be um, spoken about more, and people need to look at that. Um, and I just wish you all the best for, for getting as many write-in votes as you can possibly get, because it, the more you can get will highlight your story, and it will highlight um, the process that you went through. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I just think that we just need to realize that um, we should be unafraid to compromise or confront those that um, we we know are doing humanity and injustice, and we need to do the work in our own backyards. And so, um, if anything, that's what I hope that I can um, instill in people is that work ethic and uh, the desire to just make the world a better place in general. I mean, all cheers to that. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, um, did you want to did you want to get all personal and, and and draw some tears and and discuss uh, all the trials and tribulations that we've been through? Do you want to save that for another time? Um, what would you like to do as my guest, Emily? Well, Jay, since this is the first time I've ever interviewed, and I was pretty nervous, I think that I will just stop on the head because you know me; I tend to just sort of. <sighs> Just sort of just keep going and going and going if I, you know, if we go too long. So I'm just going to stop here and say thank you so much. I appreciate it. I would love to shed tears with you some other time. Um, but I just appreciate that um, you gave me this time. And um, you keep doing the great work too, Jay, because it's, you know, people like you that um, are going right into your Republican Party and your local community. And you've told me before that um, they embraced you with open arms. And it was sort of unexpected that that you know, there was a role for you the minute that you walked through the doors. And so um, kudos to you on that. Yeah, the, I, tr I try to tell people, if you're a good person and you're highly capable, get down there right now. You will be surprised the help they need, the the role you can play. Um, it's as big or as small as you want it to be, but you have to go through those doors first. And I mean, I Emily's one of the strongest people I know, so she chose to go out alone and do it on her own. Um, and it doesn't have it there's many different ways to cook this egg and uh you can just go right in and volunteer find a candidate that you really like like if you're listening to this in Illinois right now go to Emily's YouTube channel comment on it tell her that you want to volunteer they've got a plan um they've got postcards that they're going to hand out that help people understand who to write in and where um, if you, any of your local communities call up the county Republican Party, I guarantee you it's not 
this big um, institution that's going to be uh, cold and bristling. No, they're looking. They're looking for highly capable people, um, and they've got a spot for you. I mean, that is the way that we. Um, I don't want to say take back our country. That is the way that we put our voice back into the system. For far too long, the system has been rolling along with this, you know, this corrupt wheel that just keeps on turning. It's up to us to stand up and say, not in my name, not anymore. And I've always been impressed with you. You and I could do a multi-hour podcast, share um, the experiences, because we've been on a wild ride together, um, filled with just all yeah. all kinds of interesting characters along the way. But we've felt fellowship in the fact that we are just regular citizens, highly capable, successful in our matrix world, that are hearing a calling at this time to serve our country and to try to make a difference. And not only is there nothing wrong with that, we need more people to have that attitude and join us. And I just wanted to say it's, it's just an honor, uh, a privilege, and, a, and just a wonderful—you give me so much strength in just being— um, sharing fellowship with you, Emily. It's, uh, it's so nice to have you on the podcast. The 100th episode, I saved that just for you. Um, and, and just, you know, thank you so much for putting your name out there and being strong and just showing that you're a good person, just willing to volunteer. There's nothing wrong with that. That's commendable. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, can't wait to do it again because we do have so much to talk about. There is so many more details that, um, you know, go along with this story. Um, but yeah, we'll save that for another time. Thanks, Jay. We, we love you, Jay. The dude is all right. It's all about community. Come join us. You can hit me up on Twitter and Telegram at Jay Frat. Join the Indecent Disclosure channel on Telegram if you want to join the Hangin' with Hippie sessions. And of course, as always, if you want to support this podcast and support your smoking lifestyle, go to SmokinJays.com and use coupon code HIPPIE, H-I-P-P-I-E, for 15% off at checkout.